Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Um, I believe if you're using one of those pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 409. That's where you'll find the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. While you're turning there, I just want to say, uh, shame on you, Gary, for doing all that introduction to me. Um, I, I do not like that at all, but I appreciate your heart in it. I really do. Um, you are a dear, treasured friend in my life as well. And I want to commend you and your church um, on, two, on two things uh, this morning, although there's certainly more I could commend you on. Um, but every time I come here, there are, there, are, there are no shortage of people that come up and warmly greet us. Uh, at least a half a dozen, if not more people, this morning came up and just wanted, wanted us to know that you know, welcome to your church. And so I, w- I want you to know, those of you who are normally here, so from somebody from an outsider perspective that's not normally here, what that does to our heart, what it does to my heart, um, to know that, that, that there, are, there are warm people here who are glad that I'm here, and so I want to commend you in that, and thank you for doing that. Um, I also want to commend you on your singing. And so normally I sit down there with my wife, who um, is just the best place to sit is next to my wife. But Garrett says, no, you have to sit up here with me. And so, but when sit, uh, sitting up here, I, you know, you're singing toward me, and so, wow, you guys sound really, really good. I know you're not doing it for us up here. You're doing it for the Lord. But I just want to commend you on the beautiful singing uh, that you guys uh, do. It's, it's just tremendous. And so thank you so much uh, for that. I do want to clarify something just, just, for, the, just for to make sure. About my wife, uh, Garrett said I met my wife um, in public school. Um, I was a school teacher. I want to also clarify she was also a school teacher, okay? So I wasn't like... Uh, she is younger than me, but she's not that much younger than me. <laughs> um, and so we, um, yes, I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I was the, I was an eighth grade math teacher, and my friends who were always trying to set me up. When she, I, I'd been teaching there a couple years already, and somebody said to me at the first day of school, "You got to go meet the new chorus teacher." And uh, the new chorus teacher was Mary Marshall, uh, now Mary Sandifer. And so I met her that day. Um, that was the end of August. We went on our first date in September. We were engaged in December, and we were married the following July. And so, um, and that's been 28 years of uh, wonderful, uh, just a wonderful, I wouldn't want to share my life with anybody else. And so, thank you, sweetheart, for being, being my companion. So, all right. Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. Today is Reformation Sunday. So on October 31st, in the year of our Lord, 1517, 505 years ago tomorrow, the most famous monk in history, Martin Luther, made a choice to post his now celebrated 95 theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. My two youngest sons and I had the privilege to visit Wittenberg and that famed castle church back in the year... Uh, 2017, on the actual 500th anniversary of his posting those theses. It, we were there actually a couple of weeks, maybe three or four weeks after the posting, but you know, when you're talking 500 years, what's three or four we- weeks, right? So it was close enough to call it the 500th anniversary in my book. Um, many people don't realize about Luther, however, that he had no intention really of starting a new denomination. That's not what he was doing. He was simply protesting the corrupt practices of the church in Rome and with the hopes that the church would repent and return to the teachings of Scripture. And so since nailing his theses was considered a protest, what followed was the Protestant, or protest, 
Reformation. On that faithful day in 1517 and for the subsequent years of his life, Luther made a decision to side with Jesus and his word over the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. Famously at the Diet of Worms um, in 1521, Luther said, and I quote, he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God, thus I cannot and will not recant because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand, I can do no other. Help me, God. And beloved, if you're not familiar with church history, make no mistake about it, Luther was putting his life on the line when he said those words. He could have been executed for those words, and frankly, if some of the people in the audience had had their way, Luther would have been executed for those words. But Luther was making a choice. In one sense, it was an easy choice for him because his conscience was bound. But in another sense... His life was on the line. It wasn't an easy choice, but he had a choice to make, and he made that choice. And I, for one, by God's grace, think he made the right choice. In our text today, we're going to be looking at a pair of sisters. Both of them have a choice to make. Now, in, in our text, neither of their respected choices stood a chance of sending either one of them to an executioner. But in one of their choices, there was found life and abundant life. And so, friends, one of the things I want us to meditate on for the next few minutes is this. As we look at this passage, ask yourselves this question. Are the choices we make leading us into deeper, more abundant life? Or are the choices we make leading us away from abundant life. And so now, if you will, let's look at the scripture. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you're new to reading a Bible, those larger numbers are the chapter numbers, the smaller ones are the verse numbers. Follow along. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, uh, so it might be a little different than what you have in your pew Bible. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, in these waning moments that we have together this morning as we spend some time meditating and thinking about your word, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to mold us and shape us into the men and women that you would have us be. For we know your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cut away in us that which is not leading to abundant life and that you would help us, Father, to order our lives in such a way that we would grow in sanctification, that we would grow in grace, 
and that we would be more and more like Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. And so again, this morning, here, here's, here's the question I want us to, to be thinking about. Where do we spend our energy and our ambition? Or said another way, where is our focus? In this life, where is our focus? What I intend to do is argue along with the text that there's only one thing that's necessary, and that is our relationship with the Lord. This morning we'll be looking at the tale of two sisters, of Martha and Mary. One of them has made the right choice, as the CSB has it. The other has not made the right choice. If you're a note-taker this morning, the outline for this morning is very, very simple. Point number one is going to be Martha, and point number two is Mary. But before we get to Martha and Mary, just a little background from the text. Because Luke doesn't tell us what village Jesus and his disciples are entering. There in verse 38, he simply tells us that he enters a village, an unnamed village. And then immediately, there still in verse 39, we're told that a woman named Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. And in verse 39, we learn that Martha has a sister named Mary. Well, Martha and Mary are fairly common women's names in the first century, so these two sisters could be anybody, but it's likely that these are the two sisters of Lazarus, the same sisters we read about in John chapter 11. But we don't need to get bogged down on that because it really doesn't impact how we would understand the passage. But I, for one, I believe this, these are the same sisters of Lazarus. If, if they, and if they are the same sisters, then the village that Jesus is entering now is Bethany, which is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so that's just a little background. Let's look at our two points. Point number one, Martha. Martha. As we make our way into Martha's home, we find Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. That's in verse 39. Again, I'm preaching from the ESV. And the ESV reads there in part, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I, I know Garrett preaches from the CSB and, and your um, pew Bibles are CSB, and there, there's, there's an ever so slight difference in your CSB translation of that verse that I wasn't aware of until I began prepping for this sermon. What, one of the things I like to do when I'm preaching is I like to consult various English translations just to see how different translators are getting at the text. And so I looked at about a half a dozen different English translations, and I, and I, noticed, I noticed this. Well, let, let me see if, if you can notice it, all right? I'm going to read the ESV again, and then I'm going to read the same verse in the CSB and see if you can catch the difference. Here's the ESV. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now your CSB. Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Now, there are a couple minor differences, but did you, did you catch the one I emphasized there? Did you catch that word? It's the word also, right? The CSB includes the word also, and as I was consulting these different English versions, um, only two of the six that I looked at had the word also, and so I said, well, let me look in the Greek, because the, the New Testament's originally written in Greek. Let me, let me see if, if, if it's really a part of the text, and so I would go to the Greek, and guess what? Also's there in the Greek. And I got my mind wondering, like, why is, it, why is that there? Why is it not in these other translations? And by the way, I don't mean to put doubt into your mind about the, um, uh, about the reliability of our English translations. 
Beloved, the, our English translations are remarkably good. And remark so this point is not a major point that would change our doctrine or our view of Christ or anything of that nature. But it's, but it's interesting. It's a relatively small point, but it's interesting. Hear me out on this. If Mary was also at the Lord's feet, she was also there, there is only one other person mentioned in the passage by, uh, so far by name, which means that Martha must be the reason for the also. So Mary was at the Lord's feet. Mary was also, that means Mary and Martha, at least at one time, were both at the Lord's feet. You, you follow what I'm saying? But if Mary and Martha were both at the Lord's feet, at least at one time, why doesn't Luke just say Mary and Martha were there? Why, does, why doesn't he just, why does he use the also language? Now, here, here's where it's important. Follow me on this. This is important. Mary, unlike Martha, Mary was camping out at Jesus' feet. And I'll say more about that in a moment when we get to Mary. But Martha, look with me at verse 40. Martha was too distracted to stay at the Lord's feet. She was too distracted. Martha was distracted with much serving. And so Martha, if you will, she was of the type that would say, I'm willing to pop in for a few minutes, for a few seconds. I'm going to listen to a little bit of what Jesus says, but now I need to go out. I'm distracted. They're, oh, oh, this is good. Oh, but, but I have other things I need to do. And so I began to meditate on it. I began to think, how about us? Do we find ourselves distracted? Sure, maybe we're willing to pop in for a few moments, but then we get distracted. You know, I'm, I'm not here every Sunday, and so I, I don't know if this kind of thing happens at your church. I know it happens at my church. Uh, there are people who come to my church, and they're not too busy to come to my church, say, once a month or once every other month. They'll, they'll stop in, and it's like, oh, it's good to see them. I'm glad they're there. But they're not too distracted to stop in once every other month or so. But they are too distracted to be there on a regular basis. And I wondered, again, I, I, don't, I don't know if this describes you, but does that describe you? Are you here today? And God bless you for being here today, by the way. I'm excited that you're here today. It'd be kind of boring if it was just me and Garrett, right? So I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. But when you look at your own, your own bigger uh, picture of attendance in church, would you have to conclude about yourself that maybe you're just too distracted to make Jesus a priority? Maybe you're distracted with the sports teams that your children are involved in. Or maybe you're too distracted by what's happening on Saturday night and so therefore you're too tired on Sunday morning to be in regular attendance in the Lord's house. You're just too distracted. Jesus isn't a priority. That's where Martha is. Martha's distracted. She knows who Jesus is. She's vaguely familiar with his teaching because she's popping in every now and then. She was also there. But she's too distracted to camp out. And so how about us? Are we too distracted to make Jesus a priority? Now, you may be wondering at this point, how was Martha doing it? What, what, what were the kinds of things that kept Martha away from Jesus, from focusing on Jesus? And that's what verse 40 is telling us. Verse 40, she's distracted with much serving. Or as the C, CSB has it, she was distracted by her many tasks. 
She's a busy woman. She has things to do, and arguably she has important things to do. After all, who is she serving in this family? Who is, who is she serving? Well, she's serving Jesus and the other guests in her home, right? I mean, is there anything wrong with wanting to serve Jesus? Well, maybe. Maybe. You know, just a moment ago, I was addressing those of you who maybe you're too distracted to make regular church attendance. A priority. But I want to address now maybe those of you who are here every time the lights are on. I mean, you're here all the time. You work the nursery, you're an usher, you count the offering, you're a Sunday school teacher. I mean, you're the first one to volunteer before you even know what you're volunteering for. Garrett says, I need some volunteers. You're like, poof, I'm up, you know, I'm, I'm there. And, and God bless you for that. I, as, a, as a pastor, I love those kinds of volunteers. But could it be that you're too involved? Now Garrett's over here thinking, man, what are you doing? I invited you, <laughs> I invited you to my church and you're, you're, you're scaring away my volunteers. No, but, but listen, hear me out. Hear me, hear me. Could it be that you're so busy serving that you don't spend any time with the one that you think you're serving? Could it be that you're so busy serving, doing good things for the kingdom that your own personal relationship with the Lord is dry as toast. I mean, spiritually speaking, you are a crouton on a salad. You've been serving much, but you never stop to camp out at the feet of Jesus to listen to his teaching. That's where Martha is. She's so busy serving that she's forgotten what the Lord is really like. She's forgotten what the Lord is like. Now, I'm not just making that up. That's right here in the text, right? You, do, do, you, do you see where she's forgotten what the Lord is like? Look, look with me back in the text, the latter half of verse 40. Martha says to Jesus, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I want to, I want to point out two things from, from what she's saying there. Notice these two things. First, with respect to Martha forgetting what Jesus is really like, she asks him, do you not care? Have you ever been there, beloved? Has life ever pressed so hard on you from every side that you've questioned, Jesus, do you really care? I mean, there's so much going on in your life, you just... I don't know if Jesus cares. That's where Martha is. But she's there because she's forgotten what Jesus is really like. Listen to this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. Don't, you needn't turn there. It's just a couple verses. But if you're a note taker, this is 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7. Okay? Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him, verse 7, because he cares about you. Oh, beloved, let those words sink in. Deep into your soul, the Lord cares about you. The Lord cares about you. He cares about you. You are not an afterthought. He cares about you. 
Martha, though, was distracted. She had lost her focus. She had forgotten who the Lord really is. And so she questions, does he, Lord, do you really care about me? But beloved, he does care. He cares about who Martha is. He cares about what Martha's going through. And he cares about what we're going through. He cares. That's the first thing I want us to notice about what Martha is asking there. But second, notice this about Martha's response as well. She hasn't been spending enough time with Jesus, so she's, she's forgotten what he's really like. And then second, notice this. This has caused her to turn inward. It ca it's caused her to turn inward on herself. Martha's life is all about Martha. She's complaining about Mary, but she's complaining about how difficult Martha's life has become. She's not interested really in Mary. She's only interested in Martha. Notice the first person singular pronouns. My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. And beloved, I promise you this, that when we take our focus off of Jesus, it doesn't take long before the focus becomes on me. You can measure the amount of time with an egg timer. Everything in life is suddenly about me. Have you ever been there, beloved? Have you ever found yourself in a pity party when life was hard and it was all about you? To be honest, I've been there. Okay? I've been there. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm, please, I'm, I'm not trying to shame you for being there. I've been there. And I, and I want you to know as well... It, that this can happen not only in our private life, but it can also happen in our corporate life as well. When, when we take our focus off Jesus, even in our corporate life, it can become about me. It's this, it's this well, I don't like the songs we sing. I just don't like them. You know, never mind if the songs say wonderful and beautiful things about the Savior. I just don't like them. They're, they're not for me. Or some of you will leave today thinking, you know, I don't like how long that preacher preaches. Um, doesn't he know we have places to be? Or maybe you say that about Garrett. Now, never mind that your shepherd is laboring faithfully during the week so that he can feed God's sheep on Sunday morning. I, I, just, you know, I just don't like how long he preaches. And it becomes all about me. Everything becomes about me, and that's where Martha is. Everything is about Martha. But there's good news here as well. There's good news, beloved. Notice, notice how Jesus responds to Martha in verse 41. In verse 41, he says to her, Martha, Martha. I can imagine in my sanctified imagination that the first time he says Martha, it kind of it gets her attention and she, she turns. And then when he repeats her name, it, it breaks through that emotional wall that she's built. And she begins to realize that Jesus does care. When Jesus says, Martha, Martha, it, by the way, that, that's not the same thing that, you know, our when, when our parents call us by our full name. You know, <laughs> you know when, when my parents would say to me, Brian Keith, 
I, I, I didn't want to hear what was coming next because I was, I was in trouble, right? And when the parents used the full name, it, it was a way of chastising. This, but Martha, Martha is not a way of chastising. That's not what, it's full of compassion. It's full of care. It's genuine. It's heartfelt. And then he tells her, he says to her, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Notice the repetition of that idea, by the way, from earlier in the past. Earlier, she was distracted by much serving. Now she's anxious about many things. And here's what's happening. Jesus, as only Jesus can do, he's diagnosing the condition of her heart. He's putting the finger, right here is your problem. And here's the good news, friends. You see, it's only after a diagnosis has been made that we can find a cure. If we don't know what, our, what, what ails us, we can't find the cure to make us well. That's why we go to a doctor. At least that's why I go to a doctor. Oh, I want to know what's, what's wrong. I'm, I'm hurting. This is, you know, this is happening. Give me the right medicine or, or, or show me the right therapy or whatever it might be so I can be made whole. And so Jesus is telling Martha what's really ailing her. She's distracted. She's anxious. But she's those things because she's lost track of Jesus. Her many tasks, her many things have distracted her from the one thing that is necessary, Jesus. She has sinfully allowed other things in her life to crowd out Jesus. I wonder, friends, if that same thing could be said about us. Beloved, have, have, have we allowed things in our life to sinfully crowd out our priority to Jesus? And by the way, those, those things may be good things. So inherently good things. They may be things like family or work or volunteering at church. Good things. Or at least they're good until the, up until the point that they become ultimate things. Because when anything becomes more important than Jesus, then there are no longer good things, right? Then they become idols. And Martha was distracted by much that caused her to forget who Jesus was. And that distraction led to trouble and anxiety in her life. That's Martha. Let's turn our attention now to Mary. Point number two, Mary. After Jesus diagnoses Martha's condition, he says in verse 42, he's still speaking to Martha here, okay, for, for clarity, he's still speaking to Martha. He says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, or in your CSB, Mary has made the right choice, which will not be taken away from her. I want us to notice three things about what Jesus says to Martha about Mary. First, Jesus says to Martha about Mary that only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. There are, there are at least a couple of different ways. I, there may be more. I'm not a Greek expert, but I know there are at least a couple of different ways to say necessary in biblical Greek. But the particular word that's being used here, it's a word that means that which is necessary but lacking. Like, you, you need this. So, you need flour, to, to, make, uh, to make bread, right? 
unless you're going gluten-free or something. You, you need flour to do that. It's, it's necessary. So in other words, Jesus is telling Martha that there's something in her life that she needs. You need this, Martha, but it's lacking from your life. Now, what might that necessary thing be? I want us to think about that necessary thing from, from two different perspectives. One, I want to look at a, a biblical perspective of what that necessary thing is, and then more, a more narrowed-in idea to what Jesus is saying in this passage. So first, from, from a biblical perspective, that necessary thing is Jesus, right? It's Jesus. He, he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other path that we have to make it to the Father except through Christ. Jesus is the only one who was able to take the burden of our sin, pay the penalty for our sin, go to the grave, and be resurrected to eternal life. Jesus is the only one to do that. He is necessary for eternal life. If we're, if we're counting on our good works or our church attendance or you know, I'm being a good neighbor to whatever, if, I, if I'm counting on those things to make it into heaven, you're not going to make it. You have something lacking. And I think that's lacking is Jesus. You need Jesus. He's necessary. Okay, that's the global perspective. But here in our text, from, from the context of our passage, this necessary thing, the thing that's lacking from Martha's life that's present in Mary's life is the camping out at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. You know, Martha was also there. She was popping in, but she was distracted by many things. So again, pop in, pop out. Mary wasn't popping in, popping out. That's why Martha says, hey, can you tell her to come help me? She's not popping in, popping out. She's just staying there. Mary is camping out at Jesus' feet. She's soaking it in. So I thought about that some more. You know, Try to put a, a modern spin on that or perhaps even here a modern application. Here's what Martha's doing. Martha's reading an isolated verse or two each day in the same way that someone might read a horoscope. She reads Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And she repeats that to herself over and over again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. She's, she's got it plastered on her, on her bathroom mirror. She's got it you know, on her visor in her car. She's got it everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, Mar it's Martha's mantra. Take, take a verse or two from, from the teaching of the word God. And as a result, Martha thinks that that verse is all about her achieving her own dreams. That's what she thinks it's about. Because she's only popping in. Mary, on the other hand, is drinking deeply from the word of God. You tracking me with me in this? She's meditating on the full counsel of God. And she knows that that verse is actually written in the context of suffering and need. It's not about achieving our dreams. It's about being satisfied in Christ. It's about knowing that even when I have a need, I can be satisfied even in the midst of that need because I'm in Christ and he strengthens me. But the only way that Mary gets there is by spending time with Jesus. The only way you and I get there is by spending time in the Word of God. Martha needs to spend that time. It's, it's necessary but lacking from her life. And as a result, she's anxious and troubled about much. 
Mary, on the other hand, is resting in Jesus. I want you to know that life is hard for Mary as well. Spending time in Jesus doesn't mean that all your troubles are going to go away. That from the scripture readings and the prayers earlier, that, that should be abundantly clear. We have trouble in this world. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, because she knows that those teachings are necessary if she wants to grow into maturity and live the kind of life that Jesus wants her to live. Mary was doing the one thing that was necessary. She was with Jesus and camping out there. Second, Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen the good portion. Or again, as your CSB, she's made the right choice. You know, beloved, we're faced with choices every day, aren't we? Every one of us, we made dozens of choices before we even arrived here this morning. You know, maybe we made a decision to hit that snooze bar one more time. Maybe we made a decision to eat a healthy breakfast instead of processed cereal. Me, I chose the cereal, okay? But maybe you made the right decision there. You know, we made decisions about what to wear, what jewelry to put on, how to fix our hair, if we have hair, right? Um, I love them to death, so I can, I can share that with them. Um, we made a decision about whether we should pray and read scripture. Or maybe instead of praying and reading scripture, I should just turn on ESPN to catch the highlights from the World Series game. We make decisions all the time. Life is about choices. We make them every day. Some of our choices are, you know, frankly, they're value neutral. You know, probably for the most of us, and I hope this would be true of all of us, you know, we don't, we don't fret over the choice of what socks we're going to wear, right? We just get out and get it. It's, as long as it's clean, amen, let's put the clean socks on and that's going to be fine. Well, make sure they match, okay? And beyond that, that's, that's fine. You know, it's a relatively value neutral choice. But so many of the choices we make, they actually have inherent value. Either in a positive sense, positive value, or in a negative sense. You know, if, you know, we choose on a negative side, for example, we choose to go out drinking with our friends on Saturday night. We wake up hungover on Sunday morning. We've, we've made a negative value choice, right? That's, that's not a good decision. On the other hand, we make a decision that 15 minutes in the Word of God is more important than seeing the highlights of the World Series we've made a positive value decision, or at least as far as our spiritual maturity is concerned. Now, when we're contrasting Martha and Mary, Mary made the right choice. Mary had chosen the good portion. Beloved, I want us to examine our lives, and I firmly include myself in this. Examine the choices that we're making you know, is, is it wrong to watch the World Series? No, don't, don't leave here thinking that I'm you know, against that. No. But if watching the World Series is keeping us from our devotion to the Lord, is that wrong? Yes, it is. Okay. Whatever keeps us from a proper devotion to the Lord is an idol. And idols come in all shapes and sizes in our lives, don't they? To our younger people here today, I read a statistic earlier this month that the average teenager, the average teenager spends over seven hours a day on their smartphone. 
Seven hours a day. I was shocked by that. I mean, the only thing I do for seven or more hours a day is breathe. Okay, that's, that's, that's the only thing I do more than seven hours a day. Now, of course, we think, well, maybe they're spending six of those seven hours on their Bible app. Eh, well, <laughs> I wish that were true. That would be awesome, but I don't think that's true. But it can be easy sometimes. We, uh, those, those teenagers, what are we going to do with them? You know, to, to cast the blame at those teenagers. How about, the, how about our decisions? How about the decisions you and I make? Let me ask you this question. You know, one day when we're standing before the Lord, is he going to look at, look at us and say, you chose the good portion. You made the right choice. I can't speak for your own choices in your own life, but we need to examine the choices we make. Are our choices leading us into deeper devotion into the Lord? Third thing that Jesus tells Martha about Mary is that Mary's choice will not be taken away from her. And I just thought, that's a, that's what a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. It will not be taken away from her. But then as I meditated on it a little bit more, I thought, well, in what sense will it not be taken away from her? Because pretty soon you know, Jesus is going to have to get up and he's going to have to you know, move on to the next city, right? So in what sense is it not going to be taken away from her? Thought about, I thought about two different ways here. First, the, mo the most obvious way to understand it is this. You know, Jesus is saying to Martha, no. No, I, I'm not going to tell Mary to stop sitting at my feet so that she can help you. I'm not going to do it, period, full stop, end of discussion. No, I'm not going to do it. He's drawing the line. Mar Martha is sinfully distracted by her many things, and she wants Mary to join her in her sin. But Jesus says, I'm not going to keep Mary from doing the right thing so that Martha can be placated in her sin. So that Martha continue to be distracted and then have Mary distracted along with her. This is, this is if you will, the in-the-moment decision. Jesus says, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to tell Mary to get up and help you, Martha. I'm not going to do it. But I think there's another sense here as well. You know, when we spend time with Jesus... When, when we spend time in his word, when we spend time with his people, Jesus uses that time to mold us and shape us to make us ever more like himself. This is from, that art, from the article of faith. This is sanctification. When we spend hours that turn into days, which then ultimately turn into weeks and months and years, we spend all of that time maturing in our relationship with the Lord. No one can take that away from us. Or to think about it in terms of scripture memory. You know, we, we, we might spend hours or days or weeks, even years ultimately, memorizing scripture. And then we cultivate that and we curate that. And once we have it and it's cultivated and curated, no one can take that from us. I mean, you could be locked in prison, right? And, the, and the, the warden says, no Bible for you. And the guards are going to turn over your room. We're going we're to find any Bible yet. No Bible for you. But if you've got it here, they can't take it away from you. Right? Because you've put it in here. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. She was soaking it in. 
And no one was going to be able to take that from her. No one could take it from her. In 2017, when my boys and I went to Wittenberg, we stayed in a quaint little German hotel. We ate scrumptious German food. So I, I'm half German. My mother's German. So I, anything German that you put on the table, I'm down for that. Okay. Uh, so we ate good food. We went to um, and actually went into the castle church where L Luther had nailed his 95 theses. And beloved, those memories are a part of me. They're a part of me now. They, they help make me who I am. No one can take them from me. When we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time with his people gathering together, those experiences help shape who we are and who we will become. And no one can take that from you. Mary knew what was necessary. Mary made the right choice. And no one was going to take that from her. 500 years ago tomorrow, Luther made a choice. And again, I believe it was the right choice. It was a choice that shaped him, who he'd become. It was a shape, frankly, that shaped our entire culture. Beloved, we have choices to make. And one day when we stand before the Lord, will he tell us that we made the right choice? I pray that he will. Pause for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus in the likeness of men to take the penalty that we owe so that we might, by faith in him, have eternal life. Lord, we don't believe that we can earn our way by the choices we make into glory, but we do believe that the choices we make are important and that in choosing Jesus, we can find life, even abundant life. Father, are there any unbelievers here today, and that's people who've never trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that today, by your grace, that they would, that, that you would open their heart and that today they would call out on Christ and be saved. For those here who are my brothers and my sisters in Christ, Lord, help us to recognize the importance of how we spend our time, the choices we make, and help us to prioritize, to make much of Jesus in our life, because that is the right choice. We pray that in his name. Amen.